Today on Ag News Daily. So I think it ultimately goes right back to looking at the legacy aspect of an operation. So with agorocarbon, we want to really focus on what the value is of these practices. Good afternoon and welcome to a hashtag Tech Tuesday episode of the Ag News Daily podcast. Of course, we are again sponsored today by DPH Bio. So if you're looking for an alternative to starter fertilizer, DPH Biologicals offers a competitive alternative for broad acre crops without sacrificing yield. Refined across millions of acres, TerraTrove combines microbes, plant extracts, and algae to offer the most complete biofertility solution available. To unharness soil fertility and maximize yield, visit dthbio.com to learn more. And Delaney, I've got to apologize there. I really just hopped right into it. Didn't even get a chance to introduce ourselves. Of course, I'm Ashton Carr, joined by Delaney Howell. How are you doing today, Delaney? I'm good. I don't need much introduction, I don't think, at this point, Ashton. Yeah, I think you're right. I think some of our loyal listeners definitely know who we are these days, so I guess I retract that apology. That's okay. I forgive you anyways. Well, Delaney, I had something exciting to share with you today that I wanted to kick the show off with. Yet you wouldn't even tell me before the podcast started recording today, so I have no idea what you're about to tell me. Well, it's really not that important, so I might let you down a little bit here, got your hopes up too high, but I have officially started watching Yellowstone. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, I'm proud of you. It's been long overdue, but good job. Thanks for joining the club. You know, I was a little bit hesitant there. I didn't want to jump on the bandwagon, but I've got to say I am, I think on episode eight of the first season and I was in love by the first like 15 minutes of the first episode. They're good. You're now you, now you can understand why I like them so much. It is very soap drama-y because I feel like there is something going on every single episode. These people can't catch a break. Yeah, I think the first season's pretty heavy like that. I think as you get through like season, whatever season that's on right now that we've been watching is a little less soap opery. It's really just kind of like setting itself up for something big to come, I can tell. But yeah, the first season is definitely pretty dramatic with, you know, like deaths in the first couple of episodes. Have you learned what the train station is yet, Ashton? I have, yes. Okay, so taking people to the train station. Yeah, you're you're in deep then. You know, you know what it is. <laughs> it's just absolutely crazy. It makes me giggle because I feel like a lot of people have romanticized the cowboy lifestyle because of Yellowstone, but I don't think it's as extreme as they make it out to be on TV. That's true. That is very true. Well, I don't know if you've seen this social media clip going around, but in the most recent season, two episodes ago now, there's a group of animal activists in what they frame as Bozeman, Montana. And the main character, John Dutton, played by Kevin Costner, has this really great speech that he tells one of the main animal activist ladies. I don't know if you've seen that clip floating around. I think I shared it on our Facebook page at Ag News Daily. But <laughs> he's he took the words right out of my mouth. Like He basically is telling this woman who's an animal activist that even though maybe they save, you know, farm animals, there's still a lot of animals and creatures that their natural habitat is like 
the ground and soil and, you know, like voles and rodents and bugs and insects and whatnot that still have to get killed to produce, you know, like their chickpeas and their sunflower seeds and their, you know, whatever fill in the blank kind of hippie food that we would associate those people <laughs> to eat. Um, and, and I love how he says that. And I feel like that was a really powerful moment for agriculture because I've had that thought, like I've read books that have talked about it and it finally just put it into a place that was mainstream media. So I personally loved that. Sorry for my tangent, but I love Yellowstone, even though I know it's not all accurate. I, I really love it as a whole. But they still, of course, do make some good points in the series, Delaney, about agriculture and the ranching lifestyle and those kinds of things. So, of course, there are some inaccuracies and maybe some hyperboles taking things to the extreme. I think that they still make the ranching lifestyle um, a, a pretty good one. But other than talking about Yellowstone, Delaney, we do have some news to talk about today. I was wondering if you've seen any updates coming from Mayfield, Kentucky, or any of the tornadoes that we saw over the weekend and the damage that has been caused. Well, Ashton, I do have a quick update on the storm's damage as well as some potential storms that are going to be sweeping across the central plains here where I'm located in Iowa. But according to Chadley, the director of the UK Grain and Forage Center of Excellence, he said that officials have condemned about 90% of structures at the station at the largest off-campus branch of UK Extension in Kansas, uh, in Kentucky. And that includes main building losses, laboratories, barns, etc. So we know that they had some pretty extensive damage there. As far as across other communities, I have yet to hear what that final extent of damage will be, but I'm sure it's going to be pretty fast. So that's going on here kind of in Kentucky. And then in the Midwest, as I mentioned there, we're going to have some inclement weather here heading into tomorrow. I don't want to say derecho level storms, but pretty fast moving winds are expected to head into my neck of the woods here, as well as some snow across the West. But in the Midwest and Plains tomorrow, Wednesday, we're going to see temperatures climb into the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So yay for that, because it'll be nicer, hopefully, weather. However, the caveat is that there should be or could be some powerful winds that could have gusts of 40 to 80 miles per hour, which I'm pretty sure, I don't, I, th- I want to say the derecho was triple digit speeds, if not close to it. So maybe not quite that high, but going to be a pretty windy, nasty day, warm temperatures, but pretty high winds. So I know we do have some more severe weather hitting a lot of other portions of the United States, but nothing hopefully to the extreme that we saw in Kentucky. Well, Delaney, I'm going to go ahead and kick things over to talk about some policy because we saw a new piece of legislation that was introduced back on November 23rd, but now it is really picking up speed here. This piece of legislation is called the Defend the Blend Act, and it would essentially stop the EPA from retroactively lowering biofuel blending requirements. The House introduced it, and it's being referred to the House Committee on Energy and Commerce. And now the Senate is reportedly introducing a bipartisan companion bill backed by Grassley, Ernst, Klobuchar, and Duckworth. 
The House bill language is short and to the point reportedly, and it says the administrator of the EPA may not introduce any applicable volume determined under the Clean Air Act or any renewable fuel obligation or applicable percentage determined that has already been finalized for any calendar year. We have seen some report from a couple different representatives, but I thought that it had an interesting name at least, so I wanted to put that in the air. It certainly does, Ashton. And I don't have any interesting segue, unfortunately, other than that little pun I made there in case you caught that. Um, But I I had some news. This kind of surprised me a little bit. I guess surprise maybe didn't surprise. But anyways, the USDA's Animal Plant and Health Inspection Service, uh, aka APHIS, has issued a revised federal order to allow certain swine products to safely move to the mainland U.S. from Puerto Rico and U.S. Virgin Islands, which, again, I say comes as a surprise because we have seen some suspected cases of potential biosecurity issues with potential ASF cases, although it hasn't been directly detected in Puerto Rico or the U.S. Virgin Islands. Of course, you know, we had those cases reported a couple months ago in the Dominican and other areas there, so pretty close to home. But they say they have, um, you know, been putting in more measures to help control that through travelers and baggages when folks are entering or exiting the U.S. to Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands and obviously not allowing, you know, things like pork products, pork meat to come across. But uh, they say that they will start allowing certain products to start coming to the mainland here. So a little interesting. Well, Delaney, I'm glad that you bring up disease and travel because we've seen a kind of argument, I would say, come about when we're talking about foreign workers coming into the U.S. and COVID-19 restrictions. You know, a lot of these foreign workers don't have access to the required vaccines that we have here in the U.S., so that's kind of been an issue. But now we've seen more than 60 ag orgs request that the Biden administration exempt South African and other ag workers from travel restrictions due to the pandemic. These groups want flexibility from the proclamation on suspension of entry as immigrants and non-immigrants of certain additional persons who pose a risk of transmitting coronavirus disease 2019. And that's a mouthful, but essentially this prohibits travel for individuals from several different countries because of concerns of the Omicron variant. Almost 7,000 H-2A guest workers originate from South Africa, and the majority of those arrive in the U.S. between February and April. So this is going to be a big test on what really the ag industry can do, because without these 7,000 workers, I think that that poses a, a big risk when it comes to what needs to get done February, March, and April on these production farms. Yeah, that's absolutely a good point there, Ashton. And, you know, COVID and vaccinations and all of these other things really have amplified and changed some of those issues too. You know, I have not been paying enough attention, to be honest with you, to know exactly what those requirements look like, whether, you know, visa workers are going to be vaccinated. I would assume they're going to be required to be vaccinated, but that might also kind of deter some of that workforce as well. 
You know, Delaney, I don't know the fine print of it either, but I've I've just been reading up a little bit on, you know, getting workers, immigrant workers into the U.S. and, you know, letting them have access to um, these vaccines if they so please. But of course, it's just a big issue. And we're seeing so many different issues when it comes to ag labor. And this is really just another bottleneck that I think is going to raise some concerns, you know, over the course of the next few months or so. Certainly could, Ashton. And, you know, speaking of COVID-19, we just got an announcement yesterday afternoon from the USDA that the government's going to send up to $50 million to U.S. hog farmers who are forced to sell their hogs at those pandemic era depressed prices on the spot market during the summer of 2020. They said that the USDA was displaced Bursting about $270 million to contract growers of hogs and poultry through its Pandemic Assistance for Producers Initiative. About $7 billion has already been paid to all farmers and ranchers since the Biden administration's remodeled coronavirus relief programs in March. But this spot part less spot market hog pandemic program, that's a little bit of a mouthful, will pay farmers about $54 per head up to 10,000 hogs sold at negotiated prices between the dates of April 16th and September 1st of 2020. So, of course, sign-up will be open tomorrow and run through February 25th of 2022, and I believe you can sign up directly through your local FSA office. So if you were a hog producer that was impacted by COVID-19, I won't even go into the details. You can all use your imaginations of what happened during that time, but if you were impacted, there has been some additional assistance announced for those folks. Well, Delaney, yesterday I was talking a lot about China, and today I guess I'm talking a bit about Africa because I have another African story to talk about, not South Africa, but specifically looking at Nigeria. The African Development Bank is set to lend Nigeria $210 million to support smallholder farmers producing strategic crop and livestock. This funding is the first loan under an African Development Bank program designed to reduce logistics costs. So it seems like we're not the only country that are, are that is dealing with some logistics and input issues. But this program is targeting seven states in Nigeria initially before being extended to 17 other African nations. The bank said in a statement that this project is going to support Nigeria's efforts to raise agricultural productivity, promote investment, create wealth and jobs, and transform rural areas into corridors of economic prosperity. So I thought that it was just cool seeing how other countries are really implementing agricultural practices. You know, I of course love learning about what agriculture is like in other parts of the world, but those ones that aren't as developed as, you know, the US, China, other large countries that are pretty agriculturally diverse. I I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, that certainly is interesting. And honestly, it's on my bucket list to go to every continent before I pass away. And Africa, I've not been to that one yet, but I would be, I'm really anxious to go sometime and just see how they do agriculture, how they raise things there. It's obviously very different than what we do here in the United States, but I think it'd be really 
interesting and neat to see their production system. But actually, while we're talking about goals and bucket lists, Ashton, we don't have very many podcasts left before the end of 2021. So I think we should challenge our listeners and maybe ourselves to create some goals for 2022. You know what? I think that you are really encouraging today, Delaney, because I haven't even thought about what my 2022 goals are yet. So I'm going to have to keep that in mind. I'm a big goal setter. So yeah, I like to. I always set goals for myself, but that's just me. That's how my personality works. Well, Delaney, you know, I try and set them, but I have a hard time achieving them sometimes, I think. Like my new resolutions. They got to be realistic goals, Ashton. I need to do like the whole process of doing smart goals. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's right. You have to set smart goals. You know it. But <laughs> well, I tell you what, I don't have really any other news today, Ashton. How about you? I'm all out as well. Okay. Well, let's hop into the markets then. And of course, folks, friendly reminder, we are sponsored today by DPH Biologicals. And if you're looking for an alternative to starter fertilizer, DPH Biologicals offers a competitive alternative for broad acre crops without sacrificing yield. Be sure to check out our interview with DPH Biologicals to learn more about their complete biofertility platform, TerraTrove. To unharness soil fertility and maximize yield, visit dphbio.com to learn more. And Ashton, with that, hopping over into the markets for today, we certainly saw a little bit of a turnaround Tuesday here in the grain markets after yesterday's sell-off. March corn up five and a quarter today to close at 590 and a quarter. Dees 22 up three and a quarter, closing at 545 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, the January contract up 15 and a half cents, closing the day at 1259 and a half. The March up 13 and three quarters cents, closing the day at 1264 and a half. In the wheat pits, we saw a little bit of weakness as the March contract shed one and three quarters cents, closing at 787. The Dees 22 contract down three and a quarter cent, closing at 789 and a quarter. Hopping over into the livestock pits today, we saw weakness across the entire protein complex as February live cattle shed 55 cents today, ending at 138.30. The April down 37 and a half cents, closing at a buck 42. Feeder cattle also showed weakness today as the January contract shed 95 cents, closing at 164.57 and a half. The March down seven and a half cents, closing the day out at 166.40. And in lean hogs, the February contract shed 67 and a half cents today, closing at 80 bucks, so seven and a half cents. And the April down three quarters, closing at 85.10. Lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. Ashton, we saw January shedding eight cents today to close at 19.98. The February down nine cents to close at 19.93. Ashton, remind us who we're talking to for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview. Well, Delaney, we are actually featuring some audio that Dawson got to do at NAFB talking to Agoro Carbon. All right. Well, I am joined here by Keith Byerly, the regional sales manager and certified crop advisor at Agoro Carbon Alliance. How are you doing, Keith? Good. Thanks for stopping today. Yeah. So for those that are not familiar with your company, can you kind of give us an overview about what it is you guys do? 
Sure. Agoro Carbon is an ag-based company, and we are focused solely on the carbon markets at this time. We don't do any other sales. We don't have seed or chemical or fertilizer, none of those tie-ins. We're here strictly to focus on this marketplace with our growers. And being ag-based, we understand the risks that are involved, the financial needs of implementing management changes and everything like that. So that's what we're here to do. We at Agoro Carbon created our contracts and everything to help the growers have access to capital, help them have what they need to implement management changes for regenerative, sustainable ag practices, and ultimately a revenue stream through carbon markets. Well, here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, our listeners are starting to get more familiar with the carbon markets as we've talked about it multiple times. But uh, with you being mostly focused just on carbon, does that kind of bring a new thing to what you're trying to do for farmers and how you interact with them versus uh, other companies? Well, I think the uniqueness about it is that they can really trust the, you know, everybody has their local advisor, right? And and we have agronomists stationed all across the United States, but not necessarily always local. And if you've been on one farm, you've been on one farm. So with this network of, of agronomists and being focused solely on carbon, we can spend all of our time focusing on helping with that decision-making process, with the expertise that goes along with it. And growers, since we're not local, can have that degree of trust with that, that it's not driven towards a certain product, a certain seed, or whatever that might be in, in driving that decision for them. Well, Keith, kind of getting into it here, uh, can you discuss more about, you know, the, the conservation side of it, of what you're trying to promote to your farmers, how that benefits them with uh, land management, as well as uh, kind of the before when it gets into carbon credits and making money off of that? Certainly. So Agoro Carbon for our row and, and cereal crop farmers, for those in that arena, we offer three ways to participate in the marketplace. Number one is going to be a tillage reduction strategy, whether that's a single pass all the way to true no-till. That's the first avenue that growers can qualify in for management practice side of things. The next one's going to be the implementation of cover crops into the crop rotation strategy there. Keep things green and growing more of the year lets us capture that sunlight and uh, turn it into sugars that feed all of those good bugs down in the soil. The third one is going to be kind of more revolved around the 4R approach, if you will, in the nitrogen uh, realm and focusing on end management and how that works. Not just nitrogen reduction, but truly end management, timing, placement, all of those things that we concentrate on 4R. In the livestock side of things, for our ranchers and, and those that graze cattle, we can look at adding species. So that might mean grazing cattle on our crop residues or cover crops. It can mean uh, a change in management, whether we go to higher duration uh, or uh, higher intensity, lower duration grazing with a rotation, uh, interseeding some species into those range and pasture mixes, uh, adding diversity with different animals, adding some sheep or goats to a cattle herd to, to stimulate different enzymes and different things in the soil, or even uh, looking at nitrogen management and range and pasture as well as a management tool to help manage the, the biomass that we create out there. So kind of going more onto the carbon side, uh, you're, you're talking about nutrient management, how that helps them. I mean, 
when we talk about the broad perspective of why carbon might be coming more of an issue is about reducing climate emissions and essentially not putting more climate emission or emissions into the climate and atmosphere. Uh, but for those that are not really seeing that, not really wanting to focus on that, is there a way that you're trying to attract farmers to your services that are not really focused on the big picture of climate change that a lot of other people and in industry leaders as well as world leaders are focusing on? So I think it ultimately goes right back to looking at the legacy aspect of an operation. So with Agoro Carbon, we want to really focus on what the value is of these practices from the farm standpoint, not just from the carbon standpoint. Doing things with cover crops really helps us develop better water holding capacity, better root structure, more channels to aerate that soil when we get high rainfall events. Those are the pieces that ultimately lead to more water holding capacity, more drought resilience and things like that. It's investing in our soil so that the next generation and the generation after that have that opportunity to, to experience the same lifestyle that we get to experience today of, of having a, a productive farm that can, can support families out there. And that is ultimately the first thing that we have to engage our growers on, whether it's us at Agoro Carbon or, or anybody else is thinking about how it benefits the land. And the carbon is really just a nice uh, additional revenue stream to help continue to drive those other goals. And kind of speaking on, you know, part of it is having farmers switch their practices to get that money. Uh, what about farmers that have already been doing those practices for years? They've been doing the no-till and cover crop and everything. How do they benefit from your services? So the first thing that we want to think about is that the Agoro Carbon Program wants those growers not to, to self-disqualify themselves just because they may have been no-till for 20 or 25 years. There's still opportunities to build on top of that. There's, there's tillage reduction strategies that can be done with people that are already using a, a turbo till only and things like that. So for, for that group of growers, continue to be open to the different ideas that, it, that exist in this. The guys that truly are already implementing 25 years of no-till, cover crops, all of those pieces, it's still really important for them to pay attention to what's happening in this marketplace, even though today they may not be able to participate. Carbon is really the first block in this ecosystems market that's developing. As methane, nitrous oxide, water management, as all of these other pieces come along, even though today the early pieces of this don't fit enrolling them in a carbon program, they're going to be best positioned for those future things. They may have a leg up on everybody else when it comes to beginning to manage nitrous oxide, for instance. So that's a really important part. The other important part is to continue for those growers to support this idea because it to get months or years down the road when there are programs that include those legacy growers, we have to be successful in the early days with these programs. Their support helps us get a market to them sooner than later. Well, Keith, as of right now, we have the Growing Climate Solutions Act that is sitting in Congress right now, already passed by the Senate, that kind of is helping to establish the government's role in the carbon market uh, place. And uh, a lot of people are also wondering that same thing. And I know producers are not really wanting government into the regulation and the standard side of it. But 
where do you see yourself working with possibly the USDA down the road when it comes to education or at least establishing conservation practices? So agorocarbon, nobody else has that crystal ball either to know exactly what that looks like. But I think that most of us view this developing marketplace to look something like maybe federal crop insurance as a model might be. Um, there, there are going to be opportunities for growers to potentially work directly with USDA, maybe not. But at the same time, we know the private sector is not going to go away on this. And they may have better, equal, whatever opportunities with private sector companies like Agoro Carbon to do those carbon management services through them. So it's going to be a piece here that continues to evolve, but something that ultimately a a grower or anybody else shouldn't be scared of at this time because it's all going to work together. Those, Those mandates, the things that have happened at COP26 are going to expand what market access is, not just change how we manage it on a day-to-day basis, but look at the access into regulatory markets and not just voluntary markets. Well, Keith, thank you for coming and talking to us. Thank you for stopping today, Dawson. Thanks again there to Dawson and Keith from Agoro Carbon for being able to chat while they were at NAFB. But Delaney, we only have about two or three more episodes that we're going to feature NAFB content. So folks can tune into that at agnewsdaily.com. But other than sharing our NAFB content, we are always sharing content on our social media. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Agnews Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let him go.